0: Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Trail from New Hampshire to the White House. Anyone who wants to be president has to come through New Hampshire first, and no one covers New Hampshire politics like WMUR. I'm WMUR Political Director Adam Sexton, and we hope you can join us every week for this podcast. Since we last had Andrew Yang on this program back in January, he's gone from a candidate on the margins of the 2020 race to one driving the conversation on certain policy issues and generating quite a bit of buzz online and among younger voters. Mr. Yang is our guest this morning. Thanks for joining us. That's great to be back. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So uh, what you've done is pretty remarkable. You've gone from nowhere to somewhere. (laughs) But Let's look forward. How do you get from somewhere to the front of the pack?
1: Well, most Americans right now are just tuning into 2020, and they're going to meet me and the other candidates on the debate stage June 26th and then July 30th. So that's going to be a phenomenal opportunity, and you're going to see our polling. We're at between one and three percent right now outpolling many sitting senators and governors, and you're just going to see that rise as more and more Americans uh, get a sense of me, my vision for our country and the campaign.
0: What's your debate strategy when you get on that stage? Are we going to see you engage with your fellow candidates, or are you going
1: to be <laughs> treated as an introductory candidate? Kind of uh, opportunity. Um, much more the latter. I think we can all tell when someone has a memorized zinger. It's really painful for the American people. I will spare you that pain. So my goal is just to introduce myself to the American people. Certainly if another candidate, um, comes, uh, comes forward with an idea that I think needs to be addressed, I'm very happy to contrast myself with them.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about policy right now. (laughs) Freedom dividend, uh, go ahead and get some water there. Uh, freedom dividend, a thousand dollars a month. This is what we talked about when you're here the last time. It's central to your campaign. How do you eliminate the potential for fraud there. This is a lot of money going out in the mail uh, potentially every month,
1: billions and billions of dollars. Well, that's the great thing, Adam, is that if you're getting a dividend, um, all you have to do is be a citizen and there's very little fraud involved. you know the way there's a ton of fraud? Our existing welfare programs, our existing disability programs, unfortunately, a lot of the money that's right now going out is very subject um, to very bad incentives. And you have an entire legal industry designed to help people access government benefits. If there's a universal dividend that Everyone gets it, it actually eliminates and reduces fraud. How big would you expect the bureaucracy uh, to be that it
0: administers this program? Certainly, it's going to be much, by an order of magnitude, uh, huge compared to
1: Social Security. It's, again, quite the opposite, and all you have to do is look at the experience in Alaska where everyone in Alaska receives a dividend of between one and $2,000 a year, and all they have to do is affirm that you're an Alaskan citizen and then you get the money. So there's very limited bureaucracy. It's much of a lighter lift than having case managers and reporting requirements, trying to make sure that you're, you're still in need. All of that disappears.
0: What happens if Randy in Laconia doesn't get his check this
1: month? Who does he call? Um, Well, he he calls uh, the uh, the government and says, hey, where's my check? But the great thing is our government is quite good at sending large numbers of checks to large numbers of Americans uh, every day. It's one of the few core competencies our government possesses. We have to lean into that in order to get buying power into the hands of people here in New Hampshire.
0: You've recently been fairly critical of identity politics, particularly in the Democratic Party and the trend towards a more identity-driven candidacies and whatnot. Uh, What's your problem with identity politics?
1: Well, I'm the son of immigrants myself, and I understand the impulse behind identity politics, but Democrats have to know it's a very poor way to approach winning national elections. It tends to accentuate our differences rather than what we have in common. And one of the themes of our campaign is that we share much more in common with each other uh, than uh, than, the, than the opposite. So identity politics, I understand it, but to me it's uh, losing way forward for Democrats to approach national elections. You mentioned your parents, let's unpack this for a moment. The
0: Asian-American experience in America is probably one of the most overlooked success stories in uh, ethnographic American history. Uh, You look at what the Chinese-Americans faced uh, in their first years here in the country, basically in slavery to the railroads in the West, uh, the Japanese internment during World War II, uh, casual racism, all of this overcome. And while you're not the first Asian-American to run for president, you are the first to really break through. So you're saying though that that's really not a big deal.
1: Well, I'm very proud of my own heritage, but my, my experience is secondary to the problems that got Donald Trump elected. We have to address the fact that we're automating away millions of not just manufacturing jobs, but retail jobs, call center jobs, truck driving jobs, and on and on throughout our economy. That's what got Donald Trump elected, and that's what I'm going to solve for as president. My identity is secondary to, to most Americans. Speaking of the president,
0: he recently told George Stephanopoulos in an exclusive interview with ABC News that if he was presented with foreign dirt from a foreign source uh, that would help him in the campaign from 2020 said I'd likely take it. Uh, There's a big uproar about this right now and you've been on the fence kind of about
1: impeachment or at least kept it at arm's length. Does this change your opinion at all? Well, uh, I mean, it's very unfortunate that he's making these statements. I mean, he he, he clearly sees nothing wrong with working with a foreign government, uh, you know, to win a domestic election, and that's hugely problematic. But you're right that I've been one of the voices saying impeachment is almost certain to fail. It's going to be extraordinarily polarizing, and the focus has to be on solving the problems and beating Donald Trump in 2020, and that's what I'm going to do. Let's say you do beat Donald Trump in 2020.
0: Will the Justice Department under
1: President Andrew Yang prosecute Donald Trump for obstruction of justice? It, it would not be my preference. If you look around the world, uh, throwing former presidents in jail is something that happens in developing countries. Uh, we do not have a history of that here in the United States, and it's something that we should try and preserve to the extent possible.
0: What about the rule of law, though? There are a lot of Democrats who would contend that there were, there's clear evidence in the Mueller report of crimes being committed, and those should at least be tried in court.
1: Well, uh, you have to look at the cost benefit. Like, there are certainly benefits to enforcing our our, uh, laws on the books. But in this case, to me, the downsides would also be very significant. So you'd have to try and balance those two.
0: What do you say to those Democrats, uh, and you know, you you face this, there's been other reporting that's like, Andrew Yang is too nice. But what do you say to those Democrats who say you're not tough enough on President
1: Trump? Um, Well, after I beat the other Democrats, uh, you know, we'll see how nice they think I am. (laughs) Nonetheless, I mean, do you think you could stand to be more aggressive in your stance toward the president? You know, I think Americans are looking for someone to actually improve their lives, and I'm I'm very focused on that, and I will fight for that every single day. I do not think Americans want uh, a continuation uh, of the current conflicts that don't actually improve their day-to-day life here in New Hampshire.
0: One of those current conflicts right now is the abortion issue. Where do you stand uh, on all of these laws that are going in around the country that are essentially restricting access to abortion?
1: Uh, I think it's unfortunate that we seem to be moving backwards in in that direction here in 2019. Uh, To me, this was something that was settled uh, in Roe v. Wade decades ago, and that's the direction we should head as a country. I understand the other point of view, but I I believe that the government should not be restricting women's reproductive rights. Is there anything you would do as president uh, to try and change that legal landscape? Well, I would protect women's reproductive rights at the highest levels, and if that involves Uh, who's on the Supreme Court, then that's what I would uh, be looking at. So a litmus test then, I guess, how how would you approach
0: that? If you're sitting down with a Supreme Court nominee in the Oval Office, are you going to straight up ask them how would you vote on an abortion case? Uh,
1: It would be very clear that any justice that I would appoint would be for uh, protecting women's reproductive rights, yes. Where do you stand on this issue where some candidates are saying
0: they'd like to see more justices on the Supreme Court?
1: You know, there's nothing in the Constitution about the number of justices. It's been five, it's been 13. And one of the ways we can reduce the polarization is by increasing the number of justices on the Supreme Court. We should also move from lifetime appointments to 18-year terms. Because lifetime appointments might have made sense when they drafted the Constitution, but people didn't live as long then. (laughs) So we, we should modify uh... the term for modern realities and make it so that we don't have frankly eighty five-year-old judges who are just hanging on because they don't want the laws to change
0: uh, speaking of laws antitrust is a, a big uh... discussion right now especially when it comes to big tech uh, this is a world you're familiar with what do you think should happen to some of these large companies that have uh crazy access to our personal information, essentially. Do you see breaking them up or would you like to see more regulation that
1: essentially extracts some public profit from the public resource they have? You know, our data should be ours. And right now there are companies profiting to the tune of millions and billions of dollars on the back of our data. So my goal would be to try and have our data belong to us and then if a company's benefiting from it that we get some of that value. There are certainly excesses in tech uh, and our antitrust regime is completely out of date. It's based around price, and that's not the way tech competes. So in some instances, we should have some of these companies divest parts of their businesses. But I'm focused, again, on solving the problems of the American people. And the biggest problem with social media right now is it's depressing our young people. You're seeing surges in anxiety and depression among teenage girls in particular. and so. To solve that problem, if you break Facebook and Instagram into separate companies, that might not help. So we have to get into the guts of these social media apps and try and uh, make them healthier for our kids. How do you do that, though? I mean, it's just, in
0: some ways, it's just amplifying connection and, unfortunately, amplifying some of the negative aspects uh, that we have in terms of interacting with each other online. Isn't this just something that's happening with human nature that's being
1: broadcast and writ large on social media? I guess, how do you change that? Well, that's a complete misconception. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna quote one of my friends, Tristan Harris, who said, we have the smartest engineers in the country uh, turning supercomputers into slot machines and dopamine delivery devices for our kids. And as a parent, we're outgunned and saying, oh, that's just human nature, that's nonsense. You have billion dollar companies turning our smartphones into uh, addiction devices for profit. And so you can 100% get into the guts of the design of these apps and say, look, let's dial down the interactivity and engagement and sure it's gonna hurt your profit Ability a little bit, but cry us a river and let's dial up uh, the health of our kids. Certainly, though, the games that's
0: one thing, but Facebook and Twitter I mean, that's just people connecting, right? I mean, if Facebook, you're saying Facebook and Twitter are doing these things that are manipulating us.
1: Um, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Snap, Instagram um, like the, the apps are all designed to maximize engagement and interactivity. There are ways that you can make them healthier, but <coughs> you're right that negative sentiment flourishes online more powerfully than positive sentiment. It's something that we have to try and get our arms around, and it's uh, an unprecedented set of problems.
0: We don't talk a lot about foreign policy in this race, unfortunately. There are a lot of domestic issues we have to deal with, but what's foreign policy priority number one on the first day of the Yang administration?
1: Well, I've signed a pledge to end the forever wars. Uh, You know, we've been at war essentially for 18 years and counting, and it's been out of the hands of Congress, so I want to return the power uh, to intervene militarily back to Congress where it belongs in the Constitution and so that that's my my first move as president to say look uh, there's a new approach we're not just going to be throwing our weight around we need to rebuild our partnerships and alliances. So you're saying you defer in some situations
0: uh, if there's an international crisis you'd be looking to Congress to be making an appropriation first?
1: Well that's where the power belongs in, in the Constitution and we have to try and make it so the American people are actually invested in what we're doing abroad. I think our strength abroad actually reflects how we're doing at home. We are are doing terribly at home. We're disintegrating. Our life expectancy has declined for the last three years. We have mental health crises. Uh, our, our kids are, are more depressed than ever. And so our foreign policy actually reflects the fact that we are, are not uh, strong here. That My my primary task is to make us actually strong at home, and that's actually going to make us more reliable as a partner abroad.
0: All right. Andrew Yang, thanks for joining us on Close Up. We'll see you out there Great on the trail. see you, Adam. All right. Thanks for joining us for WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. If you have a moment and can write a review or subscribe to this podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can also find us on WMUR.com and our free WMUR app 24-7. See you for the next episode of this podcast next week.